Well, I've pulled out the Mr. Rogers sweater to go back to a friendlier place in time. We're going to be a little bit nostalgic today as we look at the decay of social institutions in America. We'll look at the church and what Brian Houston, the leader of the very popular Hillsong Church, just recently said on social media about his firing from Hillsong Church. We'll also look at what's going on with the United Methodist Church and some of their LGBTQ-friendly policies that they're trying to implement. And then finally, we'll look at the government and the unconstitutional loan forgiveness program that's starting to have a little bit of a rocky start as it gets rolled out around the U.S. We'll look at that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. If you're looking to start a business, especially right now, or maybe you just have a small business, or you're looking to grow your business, it's a difficult time to do that, and you need all the help you can get. And Anchor can put legs underneath your vision, but of course you got to get their name right. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. If you need help with payroll solutions, staffing solutions, accounting, bookkeeping, and even strategy to move your business to the next level, Anchor can help you. They're helping us here at IndieThinker, and I know they can help you. But to see everything they can do, you have to go to their website, A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. And if you go right now, they're running a special for all IndieThinker listeners. Listeners, and all you have to do is let them know that IndieThinker sent you. So go over there today and let them show you how they can take your business to the next level. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Well, as you all know, the red wave that many people predicted would come didn't come. And in fact, it looks as though everything is pretty even in the midst of a Democratic administration that has done everything it can to go the opposite way of progress, even though they're called progressives. More on that in a moment. But we're watching not only the fizzling out of what was supposed to be a red wave, but also we're, we're watching the fizzling out of some other things, um, not the least of which is our electoral process. Just recently, the Arizona Maricopa County election supervisor, Bill Gates, addressed what's going on with the delay of their election results. And he said this, that there was a technical error that caused a delay at some voting centers on Tuesday. But he assured us that it was just a simple technical glitch that was corrected and not any kind of fraud or incompetence. Forgive me, but I can't help but look back on life and realize that it didn't take us this long when I was a kid to count votes for a midterm election. Now, I know perhaps voter participation is up because the consequences of elections are more dire than they ever have been. Um, but it still doesn't negate the fact that, like, in the past, we were able to do some pretty monumental things. For instance, building the pyramids. There's a lot of scholars today that still don't know how an ancient civilization like the one they had in Egypt, was able to build the pyramids. And then we have the feat of human ingenuity all the way back in 1935, the Hoover Dam that uh, took 45 million pounds of steel and 6.6 .6 million tons of concrete and over 20,000 workers to build. But yet in the present, we can't even simply count ballots in a timely manner. In some places, they're saying that we might even have to wait until December to hear the final results. As a kid, I don't remember sitting around the Christmas tree with anxious anticipation, waiting for an election result from November to come around. 
hopefully we can have a little bit of sympathy for those who have some misgivings with our modern-day election process, especially those on the right, when at least if not the extreme amount of time it's taking, which seems odd to say the very least, but also things like this. The Daily Wire just reported that in Reno, which was a swing city for their elections, a camera that was supposed to be watching people as they counted ballots just blacked out. And then the election commissioner came out to tell us he doesn't know why it happened, but they'll make sure to look into it. Well, that's deeply, deeply comforting when that city became the deciding factor in an election, but yet we don't have any surveillance to make sure that everything was done according to plan. Now, a intellectually honest person would at least say that's at least a little bit troubling. It does give you this overall impression that we're not actually making progress with as much information we have at our fingertips and as fast as technology is growing in our modern age. It's weird that we're having these simple problems and that institutions are still riddled with the same kind of issues that that we thought we would have cured and maybe even new issues because I just can't help but wonder if things weren't a little bit better in the past, not only with elections, but just society as a whole. Now, I know nostalgia has some issues, right? You can easily misperceive what took place in the past. You were younger and you didn't have the experience you do now. And so nostalgia is a little bit of a flawed art. But the Babylon Bee just recently released this picture, and I can't help but see the truth in it, that Batman the Animated Series was the pinnacle of human civilization. I mean, you have to admit, it was a great cartoon. Even if you don't like Batman, which, I mean, what's wrong with you? Stupid! But it does give you this impression that kind of resonates with all of us. Maybe I'm just getting older and I'm getting to the place that I'm saying more and more when I was a kid, but it certainly seems that here in the West, our civilization is in decline, and certainly American culture is in decline. And it's in decline specifically in some of our most important institutions, like in our government, like in our public education system, certainly in the media. Institutional mistrust is at an all-time high, and people aren't sure that they can trust institutions to do what is in their best interest anymore. And perhaps that's also true of the church. And so in our stories today, we're going to look at both the government and the church, and we're going to try to hedge forth a path that can help us regain some of that trust that we need in our institutions. But we'll look at that in our stories. In Christianity Not Today, I try to give an authentic Christian perspective on what's going on in the world today. Uh, certainly not a left-leaning or liberalized Christian perspective like some Christian news organizations. Um, the name of this segment may give away who I'm talking about. But just recently, Brian Houston, who is the celebrity pastor and worldwide leader, or at least was, of the very well-known Hillsong Church. Certainly, Hillsong was able to produce a global phenomenon with their music and with their churches that started to circle some of the largest cities in America and are still there today. But after they were riddled with scandal with some of their local pastors and then their founding pastor, um, the Hillsong movement is 
is has an uncertain future. Uh, Brian Houston just recently spoke out about his firing from the Hillsong Movement and Hillsong Church, and I wanted you to hear that because I'm going to respond a little bit to it, but also if you hadn't heard it, I think it's worth your time. So here's that. My hope is that I could have an active role as founding pastor of our church. That's what I wrote to the board, and that's the resignation that the board were quick to accept. Sadly, in the statements and announcements made, there was enough detail to pour ultimate shame and humiliation on me, but enough ambiguity to leave people to make their own conclusions about what did or didn't happen. Frankly, in many cases, those conclusions are wrong. Now, I just want to stop real quick and talk about silent mode and how churches sometimes mimic secular culture as far as this stuff is concerned. I think as far as the church should be concerned, that they should have a policy of giving as much information as possible about what took place with scandal, with pastors, with situations that involve leadership and all of that stuff. The more information, the better. Now, you might say to yourself, well, don't be a busybody. You don't need to be concerned with what happens at that church. Just be concerned with your church. Well, the point is this, is that how can we be concerned with our church if we don't know what to look for? And if we find other churches that may have issues and then we're informed about those things, then we can also see them in our own settings. And at least we can practically find ways to think about Scripture and the Bible and all of those things in reference to what is happening in the world today. I truly think the more information, the better. So I don't think the church should go on silent mode. This just recently happened at Matt Chandler's church when he got up and apologized for texts that he sent to another woman in his church and then stepped down. Well, ultimately what that leaves us with is in a suspicion that the worst possible scenario took place when we don't actually see the text and the congregation aren't privy to what actually took place. Later, we found out that Matt's wife knew about the texts when he sent them, and the woman in question, her husband knew about the texts when they were sent, and nobody had an issue with these things. That somebody that was unrelated to them, was just a friend of this woman, uh, brought those texts to Matt, and because she didn't have the context, perhaps, had an issue with them and brought them to Matt's attention. Needless to say, without that information, we are always left to think the worst, and the more information, the better, especially when we're talking about a global pastor like Brian Houston. So I only say that to say, I think more information is is better. I think Brian needs to come out and deal with these situations directly and pointedly and, and in an itemized fashion. I'm not even positive this video actually serves him that well, as we'll see here in just a minute. But one last thing about this. This is why I've had pastors like Stovall Weems and James McDonald on my show in the past, because I believe that it's important for us to get information from as many sides as possible so that we can understand and make up our minds with information rather than just pure conjecture. And I think the thinking process matters because Christians have been far too bad at just sticking their head in the sand and then not concerning themselves with these things out of piety, but then missing an opportunity to deepen their faith and think more critically about their faith, especially in the modern setting. So the more information, the better. So let's get a little bit more information from Houston. In my heartfelt apology to the people of Hillsong Church and to the church at large, I spoke about alcohol as having not proven itself to be my friend. But sadly, that has built a narrative out there that I'm an alcoholic and the stories about my alcoholism that are the result of gossip and whispering and innuendo. The narrative that I'm an alcoholic is false. In fact, I've been told by an expert therapist that I do not display the behaviours that are typical of an alcoholic. 
My apology was about the specific incidents of which the board are aware, incidents which were unbecoming for a minister of the gospel and for which I'm deeply sorry. And then prescription medication. It was in the early 2000s with my constant global travel and the stress I was under, I became dependent on sleeping tablets, which I've spoken about openly many times, including in my book, Live, Love, Lead. But let me be clear. The last time I took a single sleeping tablet was over 10 years ago. And even though I've continued to travel widely, I haven't taken even one sleeping tablet for a decade. It's not an ongoing problem. And the notorious night in 2019, where I mixed a double dose of anti-anxiety tablets with alcohol, was a one-off occasion. It happened once. It hadn't happened before, and it hasn't happened since. So I don't have an ongoing problem with anti-anxiety tablets or any other prescription medication. And I respectfully ask you to please not label me that way or blindly accept that narrative. So here's all we get in terms of cause for the dismissal of Brian Houston. We don't get any information about the women in question that said he had inappropriate behavior with them. We don't get the dereliction of placing pastors like Carl Lentz in a position of authority that clearly they didn't seem qualified for. And then we also don't get any talk about some of the past sexual abuse scandals of Hillsong Church and how those were handled. Uh, we just get this kind of personal anecdotal um, issue with substance abuse. Now, um, I, this is why I think it would serve Brian Houston well to speak out about these things in a substantive manner. Now, perhaps he can't because of legal issues, but where he can, he should. And if he can't, then that should be noted. And I don't believe that it came through in this, um, unless I missed something. I don't believe it came through in this at all. But But here's the reason that I think all of this matters, is that the institution of the church, if it is to be trusted by people, desperately needs accountability. Now, if we take it from Houston, he didn't have a substance abuse issue, but he just recently had an issue with anxiety tablets and, and mixing alcohol, and that was an issue that necessitated him to go to the hospital. Um, so suffice to say, it does give people the impression that something is going on there. And certainly, according to 1 Timothy 3.3, if you're if you're given to too much substance abuse, then clearly that does disqualify you from ministry. So people legitimately have a question, and, and I would hope O'Brien would, would understand that. And perhaps maybe the bigger issue is this, is if a pastor is even in the position where he might mix anxiety tablets and alcohol, what does that tell you about what's going on behind the scenes? Is it possible that the pressure of being a celebrity pastor and carrying this global movement is something that that God never intended for us to have. Now, far be it from me to be a pearl clutcher and just simply say that because a church is big, it must be doing something wrong. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as that, but, but I do think there is such a thing as too big. Now, maybe there's such a thing as too small. If we would heartily concur with that, then perhaps there is such a thing as too big. I do know this, that the fact that we are creating celebrities out of pastors is something that was never intended to happen. And perhaps the repercussions of so many celebrity pastors in the present falling and 
and needing to dismiss themselves from their church or be fired from their church is an indication of something. The repercussions of elevating a singular person to a position of authority and praise and honor that men were never meant to have. Slowly but surely, we may find that big pastors in the Christian church are turning into what big actors in Hollywood are, people that are riddled with scandals and have lives of immorality that nobody in the church would ever want to pattern their life after. But of course, that's not what pastors are supposed to be. And it all comes back to this point. If people are to trust the church, once again, there needs to be a healthy amount of transparency and accountability. Because the kind of institutional trust that people have for the church in America and around the world actually matters. If people are going to go to the church in their darkest moments and in their weakest moments and trust that that can be a place that will help them, then they need to know that that is a place of authenticity and transparency. And this is why the kind of accountability that I'm crying out for from pastors like like Brian and, and, and many others is, is so necessary. Not because we care about Hillsong, not because we care about being uh, you know, the TMZ of, of the Christian world and knowing all of the dirt that's going on behind the scenes, but because the institution of the church matters in society. It matters for the sake of people's soul, but it also matters for the sake of trust so that people will know that the church is a place that, that, they, that they need in their life once again. And so I do think that there is a greater need for accountability and for that to be at the forefront of everything that we do as a church. So you'll see that especially in our next story with what's going on at the United Methodist Church. Just recently, according to the Christian Post, a Texas megachurch voted overwhelmingly to leave the United Methodist Church, believing that the mainline Protestant denomination is a broken institution. Now, you might ask yourself, what's going on? Perhaps you've even heard some rumblings about the United Methodist Church organization in America and things that they are doing, but just recently the AP well, they gave us exactly what is going on at the United Methodist Church so that we can see it for ourselves. According to AP, LGBTQ-friendly votes signal progressive shift for Methodists. Article goes on to say the United Methodist Church moved toward becoming more progressive and LGBTQ-affirming during U.S. regional meetings this month. That included the election of its second openly gay bishop. Conservatives say the developments will only accelerate their exit from one of the nation's largest Protestant denominations. For a while now, mainline denominations like the United Methodist Church have been slipping slowly but surely to the left. Now, most of them have done so with this, what I guess is just a generalized idea that the church needs to get with the times. See, my prescription is more deeper, transparent accountability. But for the progressive and the liberal Christians out there, they think it's to get with the times, to shift the standards of Scripture, to become more conducive to the world and uh, more conducive to the modern trends that are happening in society. So their idea is to take away the standard of truth and move it to a standard of personal feeling and personal authenticity. Here's the real problem with that. You know, we talk about the slippery slope. In Christian circles, we're concerned with the legalization of gay marriage because that becomes a slippery slope for, like, what standard of marriage do we actually abide by if we're going to just totally redefine marriage based upon human emotions and, and not any kind of real definition of marriage that has been in place in any society prior to the present? So the real slippery slope, though, is not that issue. The real slippery slope is this. 
is a church that wants to dictate what they believe and what they stand for simply based upon the times. See, the first slippery slope is the deconstruction of marriage and the deconstruction of the family, which, by the way, is those are institutions that you probably shouldn't mess with too much since they are essential building blocks for the future. But I can't help but wonder if on the other side of that slippery slope is a more dangerous slope, and that's the eradication of clear and meaningful definitions of truth. If we drift with the times, what will ultimately happen is people that are dealing with existential crisis, that are not finding hope and strength in modernity and anything that's going on in a contemporaneous society, what they'll find is that the church will not be a place that offers them anything different than what they can find in the world. If all we do is shift with the times, then we are taking away the competitive advantage that we have as a church. See, people can go anywhere for the whims of humanity, but for transcendent values that extend far beyond the present and far beyond the whims of humanity, they, they need something bigger than that. They need an institution that is not fully given to the whims of humanity. This is the problem with shifting with the times as the United Methodist Church wants to do and progressive Christianity writ large wants to do rather than sticking with biblical standards of truth. It's people-pleasing. It's an attempt to do something that is totally impossible. You can never please everyone. See, by going to the LGBTQ community, you're going to uh, not please the conservative community. And if you merely you know, stick with pleasing the conservative community, then you'll offend the LGBTQIA plus community that is ever increasing so that it becomes harder and harder to please them anyway. And so the point is, is that the only thing you can do is not be worried about people pleasing regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. The only thing you can do is stand up for truth as far as the scripture dictates it. You may not even be a Christian, but hopefully you can appreciate that because an institution that has no standards ultimately stands for nothing. And the church needs to be the one place in society where people can come, where they know what to expect, rather than a shifting scale based upon what people may desire in the moment. So places like the United Methodist Church and any other denomination that's purely trying to create a church experience to please people rather than to tell the truth is ultimately going to find themselves spiraling out of control in a way that neither pleases people nor God. And even if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, hopefully you understand the importance of this. Institutions need to be more dedicated to telling people the truth than what they want to hear. And that's enough. And at the end of the day, that's all you really can do is to try to tell the truth to the best of your ability. And at least people can respect that even if they disagree. But unfortunately, as we all probably know at this point, our governmental institution is dedicated to trying to tell people what they want to hear, but not actually telling people the truth. And this is no more the case than in Biden's unconstitutional student loan forgiveness program. People were quick to defend Biden and to defend this loan forgiveness program for selfish reasons. But 
it escaped people to argue the fact that whether or not you want loan forgiveness or don't want it, that it's simply unconstitutional. And just recently, Biden's loan forgiveness program was blocked in Texas. According to USA Today, a U.S. judge in Texas blocked President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan. Now, I want to read you something here in a moment, uh, a little bit more in the article, but it's funny how the loan forgiveness program of Biden was never really constitutional in the first place. You know, it's it's funny that the timing of this thing happened before the election to try to appeal to younger voters. But it's also funny that this appeal for uh, Biden's unconstitutional loan forgiveness program wasn't heard until after the midterms. So it's funny on both ends, I suppose, that we didn't hear that this loan forgiveness program is going to be blocked um, in Texas and perhaps in other places. Uh, simply because it is unconstitutional. So I forgot to mention up front, by the way, unconstitutional in that Biden just decided to do it by divine fiat, just signed something into legislation without going through the House or the Senate. Um, And now we see perhaps why, that it was just merely a quid pro quo, if you will, to try to curry favor with voters. And, And I'll show you that here because the article goes on and it says this. The Texas case was brought by the conservative-leaning Job Creators Network Foundation, which describes itself as a nonpartisan organization founded by entrepreneurs who believe the best defense against bad government policies is a well-informed public. The ruling by the district court isn't temporary. The judge called the program unlawful, going further than the injunction in the Eighth Circuit. So most likely this could stop the loan forgiveness program, not only in Texas, but um, the rest of the of the nation. And so here's the issue is if we find that our political class is just doing things merely for political purposes rather than because it's in the best interest of the people, you know, currying votes uh, by by lying to people, which unfortunately has become the name of the game in politics, then we may find that people no longer believe in our politicians and that there is an institutional lack of trust in the government, which makes room for people like Donald Trump to be voted for. Now, I myself am no big Trump fan, and if I had my way, Ron DeSantis would be the candidate for 2024. I'm ready to jump on many of the talking points that you've heard from conservative media lately about the issues with Trump and a continued Trump presidency, but, uh, but I was never a Trumper. What I, what I always was, was somebody who understood very well what Trump was about. And this is something that I heard from a very liberal Norman Lear, who is a famous producer in, in Hollywood, who's done all sorts of shows like All in the Family and, and more. And he said this, that Trump is the middle finger to the establishment. See, we may think that Trump was a comedian, that Trump fought the media, that Trump was willing to say what was on his mind. And that's why people voted for him in 2016. But actually, the reason people voted for Trump in 2016 is because he was going against one of the worst establishment candidates of our lifetime, Hillary Clinton. And people were sick and tired of being lied to by politicians. This is the only reason Trump had a chance of winning in 2016. A man that had no, uh, no you know, political experience prior to that time. When people get all offended and that Trump won, they are forgetting this vitally important fact that people did not vote for Trump because they thought he was great. Not not initially. I know that there's Trumpers out there now and they want Trump back in office in 2024. I'm not so sure. But 
let us not forget, before Trump had even proved himself to do anything, which, by the way, I think that he will never get some of the credit that he deserves for what he did while he was in office. Certainly, foreign policy was a strong suit of the man. But what most people forget is that it isn't about what he did in office in 2016 because he hadn't done anything in office. That was all simply about this, institutional mistrust. And since Trump, it's only gotten deeper and broader and more vital that we understand that we don't trust our institutions anymore because we cannot trust them to tell us the truth. There needs to be accountability in the church, and there needs to be accountability in government and all over institutions, or else we're going to continually find ourselves no longer trusting these institutions that could be the building blocks of a society. And like somebody who's painting themselves into a corner, eventually, if we keep on pushing these building blocks away, we're going to find that we have nowhere else to go and that we've chiseled away the ground underneath our feet, and now we have nothing to stand on. So pushing away from our stories today and closing out the show, I hope we understand the importance of social institutions. I know the government for the longest time has been a place that you couldn't trust. And maybe you might say the same for the church, but I will to give you one explicit and, and, and implicit distinction between the church and so many other societal institutions of today that are mostly run by the left. And that is this, that the left is bent upon deconstructionism. They're built upon what they call progressivism, which is a lot like moonwalking in terms of dancing. How can you do the moonwalk and ask a woman to dance? It should be at a party. Hey, baby, come on, let's dance. See you later. In the same way, progressivism seems like it's doing something because it's making a lot of movement, but it's actually going backwards. The reason for that is that progressivism is bent upon deconstruction. It's built upon taking our current existing institutions, removing them, and putting something else in its place, because many of them have a utopianistic idea of free will and human nature. Suffice to say, so many of the modern institutions of today are built upon destroying what we presently have and putting something else in its place. And there's obviously a need for corrective measures like that and for improvement, to be sure. But can you name for me the institutions in society today that are, that are about extolling and upholding things from the past that, that have been time-tested that bring us into the present? What institution actually is interested in extolling and upholding the virtue of the nuclear family and preserving that institution? I guess that's the question at the end of the day is, is, is there an institution in society today that is about preservation and not deconstruction? And that one institution is the church, which is why we vitally need to restore, restore and reestablish institutional trust in the church. In doing so, we acknowledge a greater good. Now, you may wonder, why does that matter? Well, in an age where each person's whims and personal feelings are the things that we're told we should dictate society um, around, it's, it's important to understand that there is a greater good out there that's bigger than our personal feelings. In other words, the church acknowledges a transcendent truth that is bigger than all of us, and we need a society that does that. Perhaps one of those truths is, is this, is that the church acknowledges the intrinsic value of the other. See, your whims are not the standard, but the fact that you've been made in the image of God helps us understand that other people matter. And it's not just about us and what we want, but that we also have to live as a society with one another. And we have to learn 
how to get along. Can we, can we all get along? The church also acknowledges one last final, final thing, and that is this, that you were meant for something more than social institutions. So let's just say throughout all of this, and you've stuck with us this long, that, that you don't believe in the institution of the church. You don't believe in human institutions because they're run by humans. I, I, have, I would push back against that, but I would just say this. Well, then maybe you would agree with just the simple acknowledgement of the institution of the church, which is this, is that if you find that nothing in this world satisfies you, it could be that you were created for something bigger than this world. If man was not made for God, why is he only happy in God? Augustine said it this way, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. See, the importance of the church as an institution is that it points us to something bigger and greater than simply what is happening in temporal society today. No wonder people are so distressed and worried and depressed and even suicidal based upon where they see the institutions of our society going today. They're finding less and less to hope for here on this earth because of the, in because of the institutional corruption we're seeing before us every single day. Boy, it's almost a shame that we don't have an institution in America today pointing us to something greater than the failed institutions all around us, pointing greater than to the horizon, but pointing up towards something bigger and more important. So I just want to close by asking, is it at least possible that the restlessness we feel in society, the rise in suicide, the depression rates, and all of the misgivings and some of the aches and pains that we're having today in society, is it possible that that's not a direct result of the fact that we have given up on an institution that is dedicated to preserving institutions like marriage and the family. Have we given up on that institution, and as a result of that, we are cutting off our nose to spite our face? If so, I might encourage you not only to go check out a church, but to reinvest your understanding of what the church really is about at the end of the day. And in so doing, we might find that... Although it sounds nostalgic, times gone by were a little bit better because we weren't so willing to resist the church and cut off the, our nose to spite our face. And if that's true, well, then go to church for crying out loud. All right, guys, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.